So let's jump into the word this morning. We're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 21. So if you uh, take an opportunity to get into Matthew chapter 21, whether you're using your device or have your Bible in front of you, uh, scripture will be up on the screen here. But I want to bring us back a little bit and provide some context as to where we were last week. We had started this series, Easter series, uh, wrapped around our King of Kings in Jesus Christ. So last week we talked about our coming King. And we went on a tour through the Old Testament of all the scripture that, not all of it, because there's so much, but a lot of the scripture that pointed to uh, the Old Testament prophecy of Jesus coming as our King to save us from our sins. And so we looked at that last week and, and we now know why uh, he came. Uh, we're looking at three reasons ultimately as to why he came. Number one was obedience to his father. And that's what we looked at last week. Number two, uh, we're, we're looking at uh, the reason why Jesus had to suffer and die was ultimately Israel's uh, rejection of him and to save all of humanity. But all of scripture has spoken about his coming and his sacrifice. And Jesus had revealed multiple times on multiple occasions during his ministry to the people that were following him and his disciples that he would have to suffer and die. But now that his kingdom had come, as he declared at the very beginning of his ministry, was now, at least on the earthly side of things, coming to a close. It's coming to an end. And, and, and that's what we're going to look at today. And a part of that process is he rides into Jerusalem, what's known as the triumphal entry. That's the beginning of his final week uh, in his ministry as he prepares to sacrifice his life to save mankind from their sins. And so if you remember last week, we had three reasons. Again, number one, why Jesus had to suffer and die was God's will. Number two, Israel's ultimate rejection of their king and, and really for us as well, for, for everybody to be saved from their sins. And the, the, other, the third reason we'll look at next week is his victory over death and ultimate glory as our risen king, our king of kings that we'll celebrate next week. But we're going to get into the scripture this morning and take a look at now the misunderstood king. That as he rode into Jerusalem, there was a lot of confusion, seemingly confusion uh, on the people and the disciples about why he was riding in the way that he was. And we'll look at that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 21, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11, and then we'll get into the teaching this morning. Read along with me if you would. Again, Matthew 21, 1 through 11. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, Nazareth of Galilee. So, this story that's laid out in front of us, 
now known as Palm Sunday. Known in scripture as Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We're going to take a look at that this morning and, and kind of break it down. So there's some things that I kind of want to discuss and talk about as we, as we look at this scripture, these 11 verses. Number one for us today is known as Palm Sunday. So why Palm Sunday? Well, this has its roots, no pun intended, in Jewish history, Jewish tradition. We can look in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, verse 40. Way in the very beginning, it says, And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of, of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. So this was some instruction that God was giving the people of Israel to Moses to, to, to lay out before them to say, This is how you're going to remember how I protected you in the wilderness. After the Exodus, this was called the, the Feast of Booths. And it was a reminder of how God provided for his people in the wilderness by providing them shelter and provision. And so a part of that celebration was to take palm branches and bring them before the Lord in praise for who he is and what he did for them. Now, we also see this in the very end. So there was kind of the beginning, the institution of this feast. But now in the very, very end. Now, I'm not just talking about the end here. I'm talking about in glory. If we go to the book of Revelation, God revealed to John in his writing in Revelation 7, what we'll see in eternity, all of us whose names are written in the book of life will stand before the throne and it says this, after this I looked, this is Revelation 7, 9 through 10, it says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So there's something about what God sees in this palm branch. That whether it was from the very beginning to remember how he provided for his people in the wilderness, to all of us in glory before his throne with palm branches in our hand, praising him, praising his name and giving glory to him. There's something about this palm branch that symbolizes our praise of, of God and, and Jesus. So at the end of Jesus's earthly ministry, he would ride into Jerusalem as a symbolic gesture, showing the people again who he is as he's done throughout his ministry, but also why he came. The triumphal entry to Jerusalem took place during the Passover feast, another feast. Again, this Passover was celebrating God's protection of his people while they were in bondage and captivity in Egypt. And there was specific instruction given to the people that God was going to send his judgment and his wrath upon the people of Egypt. But in order for his people to be saved, they had to do something specific. And we read about this in the book of Exodus chapter 12. It says they were to take a lamb and that lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. And then they, when they sacrifice that lamb, they're to take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. The blood of that lamb shall be a sign then on the houses where you are, God speaking. And when I see that blood, I will pass over you and no plague shall befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. 
So that's the very beginning, the Passover celebration or the feast. They were to take an unblemished lamb, a year old, and sacrifice it and eat that lamb and take some of the blood and, and put it on the doorpost. And when God passed over in his wrath and judgment, they saw the blood of the lamb and God would pass over. And so here they are, fast forward now in Jerusalem. They're celebrating this. They're remembering God's protection and provision while they were in captivity through the symbolic gesture of a perfect lamb. So as the palm branch had its roots in praise to God, so the sacrificial Passover lamb has semblance to our king who would sacrifice his life so he would not incur the, so we, excuse me, so that we would not incur the wrath of judgment of God. And this is why when Jesus began his ministry, John the Baptist preparing the way, when he saw Jesus coming, he said, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so that's kind of our focus this morning, this, this Palm Sunday, this Passover celebration, this, this, this uh, triumphal entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem as that sacrificial Lamb of God who would shed his blood for the sake of all of humanity. But if we look back in the text that we're going through, Matthew chapter 21, in verses 2 through 5, it's Jesus instructed two of his disciples to go into the village and immediately he said, you'll find a donkey tied with a colt with her. He said, untie them and bring them to me. Now, again, as we looked at last week, all that Old Testament prophecy that pointed to Jesus Christ, our coming King, he now fulfills one more of those prophecies. And we find that in the book of Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. And in Zechariah, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So here, Jesus laying out exactly what was spoken about thousands of years before he would come onto the scene. But why a donkey? Why not a, an impressive stallion, a horse? Well, you see, again, in tradition, in, 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 in royal tradition, kings or rulers, would, when they would enter a city, if they were going to overtake the city, they would ride in on a horse. A horse was a display of power, of authority, even of war. But when a king, however, would ride in on a donkey, it was a symbol of service and peace. That that king came not to overtake everybody by, by force, by war. But he came there as a servant king to provide for the people in peace. And so Jesus was not entering Jerusalem to overthrow the Roman government. He wasn't there to overthrow anybody, to battle anybody. He simply rode in, as prophecy stated, as an unblemished lamb, ready to sacrifice his life to bring peace and salvation to all those that would accept him. That is why his entry into Jerusalem is triumphant. But again, people didn't understand that. They had so much misunderstanding as to why he was writing in. Because if you've been with us at all, we've been studying the book of Mark prior to this series. And, and so many times throughout Jesus' ministry, he would tell people after some healing or a miracle or providing for them, whatever it might be, he said, hey, don't tell anybody about this. So he kept his ministry safe and secure, quiet. But here now, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem 
with pomp and circumstance. It's a parade. It's fanfare. It's people singing and praising and laying their cloaks on the ground, shouting Hosanna. And that's what leads us to the next portion of our, of our text in verses 8 and 9 of, of Matthew chapter 21. It said, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road as well. And the crowds went before him, and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now spreading their cloaks on the ground. That seems a little awkward, at least for us here today. But again, in, in Jewish tradition, in royal tradition, this is something that was done. We see this in the book of 1 Kings chapter 1. King Solomon, during his coronation ceremony and taking over for his father David, rode into take over on a donkey. And what we also see in 2 Kings chapter 9, the people of Israel, when King Jehu was taking over during his coronation, they laid their cloaks on the ground before him. So this was practiced. This was known. This is not something unique and different and, and whatever else. This was things that they had done, but, but all these royal gestures, laying their cloaks on the ground and praising him and waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna, it has its history in royal tradition. And so that's what we need to look at. And this is why the people are a little misunderstood. They're shouting Hosanna. And now Hosanna literally means to give us salvation or give salvation now. And actually they, they take this, this chant, this song, this praise from the book of Psalms, chapter 118. It'll be up on the screen here in verses 25 and 26. Psalm 118 says, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So again, steeped in tradition, steeped in royal tradition and heritage, the people are welcoming their king. They're welcoming Jesus, their king, into Jerusalem. But where's the misunderstanding? Number one, they were declaring that Jesus was their king. No, no, nothing confusing about that. They thought he was a king. They thought, and some believed maybe he was the coming Messiah. So, so some were shouting, as was common during Passover, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this is a messianic cry. This is a messianic praise to Jesus as their Messiah. But others were shouting, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. So they're thinking Jesus the king was coming in to establish his physical, political kingdom as a member of the line of David. And so there were shouts all over the place, uh, a veiled sense of praise for Jesus as a political king, but also as the promised Messiah. The people thought they understood who Jesus was, but there was a lot of misunderstanding as he is coming into Jerusalem. Were the people fully able to understand what Jesus was about to do? I think the welcoming crowd and their response would have been very different. Because if they fully understood the, prof the, the prophecy of Messiah, of Jesus, that he would come into Jerusalem and just a few days later would actually give himself up, be put on trial and condemned to die and sacrifice his life, I think the people would have a different response. But 
So it kind of shows some of the misunderstanding. So in, in all this story, what does all this mean for you and I? How can we take and apply this now to our lives? Well, the beautiful thing is for us now, we've got the full account of God's word from the Old Testament to the new. All that had come before the life and ministry of Jesus and all that's to come for us, we have before us. So in, in one sense, we're without excuse we know and have the full understanding of why he gave up temporarily his throne in heaven in glory to come down and, and live his life in ministry for us. We know through scripture why he rode into Jerusalem as the servant king, the lamb of God ready for sacrifice. And I, I want to bring us back to kind of a phrase that I don't believe I mentioned last week, but really it's a phrase that, that set off this entire series for me says that Jesus was born to die only to be raised in glory so that we may live. That's the whole purpose. That's the whole extent of scripture that points to Jesus in why he came. He came to die. Jesus was born to die. And, and so that's the point of his ministry that he's at. In obedience to his father's will, his purpose was to die for us. Now, there's something that we see throughout scripture, something in the literary world. A lot of you may be familiar with this term called foreshadowing. There's so much in scripture. We talked about it all last week. So if you didn't catch last week's message, I would ask that you go back and, and listen to that as we went through so many uh, prophecies in scripture pertaining to our coming king. And a lot of that by the prophets and, and other stories in scripture was foreshadowing to the life and ministry of Jesus. And we just saw one of those take place. You know, so when, when, when multiple times throughout Jesus' ministry and in Scripture, we see God's salvation for His people. We see that Jesus came and rode triumphantly into Jerusalem. It was a kingly sacrifice for the salvation of His people. And, and again, I'll take us back to what John the Baptist said, the forerunner, the foreshadow of Jesus' ministry. When Jesus comes onto the scene, He says, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist already was preparing the way for people to understand who Jesus was, but even still, years later, there's still a lot of misunderstanding as to what that really means. And it won't really happen until he is lifted up on that Friday on the cross. Until, until then, will people realize who he is. But for us here now, we cannot afford to not understand who Jesus is and why he came. You know, I want to I look at Luke's perspective of this story of the triumphal entry. And, and in the book of Luke chapter 19, we read of, a, of an occurrence that takes place that brings some perspective for us now and how we view this story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. In Luke 19 verses 41 through 44, as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, it says this, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. 
and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. It's a powerful statement in grief that Jesus gives to the, to, as, he, as he overlooks Jerusalem as he's riding in on the donkey. That he's weeping for the city. He's weeping for the people in so much grief because they didn't understand. That their eyes were closed, their ears were shut to who he was and, and the ministry that he was doing, that Jesus was weeping for them. So in one sense, this statement that he makes in his triumphal entry is a prophetic statement because just you know, some 70 years later or so, or just under that, Jerusalem would be completely obliterated. It would be taken over by the Romans and completely destroyed, almost to the point of not one stone left upon another. The temple would be destroyed. The entire city would be taken over. But in another sense, we see Jesus grieving for those who are allowing themselves to be blinded by their own sin, by their own way, and not setting their eyes upon who he is and not accept him for who he is. And in the next few days, Jesus would be arrested and he'd be sentenced to die. And this is what we will remember again. Tune in Friday as we, as we look at the story of Jesus' crucifixion and his death on Good Friday. But the question for you this morning, did you miss the parade? Did you, did you, are you misunderstanding of, of, as to who Jesus is, not who he was? You have an understanding of who Jesus is now. And I can tell you, yes, Jesus died. Yes, he rose. Yes, he's sitting at the right hand of his Father in heaven, preparing a place for us. But I can tell you right now, it's not too late. It's not too late to have a true, proper, biblical understanding of who Jesus is and what he is doing in this story that we're reading and what that means to your life. Now, remember, I want to take us back really quick to the very beginning of his ministry. When Jesus was coming onto the scene, he, he made a very uh, bold statement. When nobody really knew who he was in, in his adult ministry yet, he made a statement, and we take it from Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He says, the kingdom, excuse me, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. So when he came onto the scene to begin his ministry, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. But he adds to that, repent and believe in the gospel. Now, again, at that time, that was new. People didn't really understand what the gospel was, what that meant. But the gospel is good news. And I want to kind of walk us through this, this idea of who Jesus is, as we've been talking about, but, but what, he is, what he means by the gospel, what he means by this good news. And so, so the first thing I, I want us to understand and remember is that there was an initial design to our life in Christ. In the way that God created us, he had a purpose. He had a, a perfect design when he created this world. His creation, which includes you and me, was made, and he declares that it was good. Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. We're a part of that creation. That in his initial plan, God created the world and said, It's good. It's perfect. It's exactly what I want. But something happened and sin entered the world because of man's choice to want to live his life as he determines. 
And what that ushers into the world is sin. Sin and brokenness. And so when we ignore God and that perfect plan, that design he has for our life, we want to do our own thing. That's called sin. Sin literally translates missing the mark. So if you think of, if you've ever done archery before or, or shot a bow and arrow, and when you aim at that target, Lord willing, it's a target, that you're aiming for the middle of that, that target, right? The bullseye. That's the mark. That's the perfection of God. So anything off of that mark that when you shoot, whether you hit outside of that bullseye or completely miss the target altogether, that's, that's what sin is. We miss the mark because we go our own way. We do our own thing. Our sin distorts God's original design. It distorts the original plan. And the consequence of that sin is separation from God. You know, Scripture tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is immune to sin. Even though he created us in a perfect design, because of who we are and our nature, we're sinful. And we go off and we do our own thing. And, and the consequence of that sin, Romans 620, uh, 6.23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death. And so because of our sin, we're separated from God and we deserve death. So sin is always going to lead to a place of brokenness. When we sin and we want to live our life our own way, we want to do our own thing. We're looking for anything possible that is going to fulfill our way of life. We're going to look at, at the world and what it has to offer, whether it's money or possessions or you name it. The list can go on for, for miles and miles. Of, of the things that you try and pull into your life to fulfill you, to give you a sense of purpose, to give you a sense of drive and meaning, but it's all empty when it's apart from God's original design. You know, Romans 1.25 says, because we exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. That's what we do in our brokenness. We look to possessions. We look to wealth. We look to material things. We may look to food. We may look to our job. We may even look to people, uh, the politicians or, or superstars or you name it. It doesn't matter what it is. When it's apart from God's design, it's going to lead to emptiness and brokenness because nothing can fulfill that emptiness except God. So we, we, we will tend to get to a certain point in our life where we're looking for a way out. We, wanna, we want fulfillment. We want wholeness, completeness in our life. And it's at that moment that God said in his perfect timing, here, here's my son. Here is the gospel. Here is the good news. It's Jesus Christ that's the remedy. Jesus that is the fulfillment. Jesus that is the perfect lamb of God who would shed his blood because we can't do anything on our own to save us from ourselves, to save us from, from death. Because of God's love for us, he did not leave us in our brokenness. He sent his only son to rescue us. You know, last week we talked about that lifeguard idea, right? And that's what that repentance and believing in him and trusting in him is. It's that immediate decision we make to let go of what we're hanging on to and grab on to him. You know, this is what his death on the cross does for us. It forgives us our sins. It heals our brokenness and restores us to a relationship with himself. 
We always come back to John 3, 16 because it's such a pivotal verse. But I'm going to add verse 17 as well. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, if you add verse 17 to that, it says, And, and, and God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It is that act of Jesus sacrificing his life on the cross that saves us from our sin. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says, You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God, or I love the words in Scripture, but God made us alive in Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of debt against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. That's what his death on the cross does. It takes our sin. It takes our brokenness. It takes our hurt. It takes all that stuff that we thought we were looking to for fulfillment and nails it to the cross. If we just trust in Jesus Christ as our savior. So when Jesus began his ministry, he declared that his kingdom had come, but that we must repent and believe in the gospel. We've got to admit that we're sinful. We've got to admit that we're broken. We've got to admit that we're looking for something greater than ourselves, that nothing in this world can fulfill us. And when we come to that point, then we set our eyes on Jesus. But we've got to ask God to forgive us. We've got to take ownership and responsibility for walking away, for, for setting our eyes on anything else but Him, and turn from our sin and trust in Him. You know, scripture makes it very clear in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. says, for, for by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and it is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. This is a free gift. There's nothing that you have to do except that at the immediate decision that go together of release yourself and grab onto Him. That's not work. It's a free gift. Jesus is standing there saying, take my hand. All we got to do is receive it, take it, and have him pull us up and trust in him. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And your name can be written in the book of life for all eternity. So that when we read before in Revelation, when we stand before the throne and in white robes and in perfection with, with palm branches in our hand, we can bring glory and honor and praise to God because of his salvation for us. And that's what he was riding into Jerusalem to do, to lay down his life for you. But this is the beautiful thing. It doesn't end there. That when we accept Jesus Christ, when we trust in him and we turn from our sinful ways, life is just beginning. That is when he will instill his spirit into us and provide us meaning and purpose and drive to fulfill and bring us back to that original design that he had in the very beginning. You'll discover your meaning, your purpose, <coughs> excuse me, in this broken world. This world seems to be falling apart right now, doesn't it? But even in the midst of that, Jesus says, hey, take heart because I've overcome the world. So we can put our faith and our trust in him and, and find our meaning, find our purpose in this world. God's spirit will empower you to pursue his design for life and assure us of his presence in this life for all eternity. 
That when you accept Jesus, now we get the opportunity to work out our faith, to to be sanctified, to grow in our faith, to, to pursue Him and pursue the calling He has on our life to then take our faith and our salvation and share it with others so that they can experience the same grace and salvation in their life. But we've got to put our faith in Jesus. We've got to believe in him. He came triumphantly in peace, riding on a donkey into Jerusalem to save you from your sin, to save you from your brokenness. That's why he came. That's why it's triumphant. So again, as I asked last week, will you trust in him today? Let me pray for you. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, not in a a religious act of, of anything, but just let's focus our attention on Jesus for a moment. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this opportunity in your word this morning. It goes so much beyond telling a story, Jesus. It is life. It is life eternal. And Father, I want to pray for anybody listening to this message right now that's tuned in or, or maybe will watch in the future that They've come to a place where they feel that brokenness. They feel that no matter what they turn their eyes and attention to, Lord God, it's empty. It may be fulfilling. It may bring pleasure for a quick moment, but then they're back to empty. And so, Father, I'm praying for that individual, those individuals right now, Jesus, that you speak to their heart, Father God, and and, and let them know who you are. Speak to their heart and their mind now, Jesus, that they need to give their life to you so that you can transform their life and, and give them meaning and true meaning and true purpose. That they can live this life knowing that one day when you return for your people, they will be included in that arrival. When we all get to experience eternity and experience glory in heaven. You know, as you, as you maintain this, this mode of prayer, I, again, I, I just I want to pray and ask, you know, everything that we've gone through about Jesus' triumphal entry and, and the purpose of his arrival and the purpose of his coming and the purpose of laying down his life. And we laid out that gospel message. I want to I give you two more things really quick. Number one, Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And just a few verses later, in verse 13 of Romans 10, it says, For everyone, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, if that's you this morning and God is speaking to your heart, I want to give you that opportunity. Again, as we've said before, this is, this is not some religious action that we take. This is not some, some way to pull people into a religion. But hopefully what you've heard today is a a misunderstood king who, who rode into Jerusalem peacefully and, and humbly. He wants a relationship with you. And so in our way for us now, you don't have to say another word. You just have to do what scripture says, which is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he is, that he sacrificed his life and he was raised from the dead three days later and he awaits you. If you want a relationship with Jesus today, then I'm going to walk us through just a simple prayer. The prayer doesn't save you. (laughs) Action doesn't save you. This is just the opportunity now to fulfill what Scripture says, which is confess with our mouth. 
And so if you don't know what that means or how to do that, then I'm going to pray for you and with you right now and walk you through a prayer. And, and if you say this prayer, then, then you can be confident in your heart, in your mind, that you are saved and you have a relationship with Jesus. So, so pray with me. And if you repeat these words and, and you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, then repeat after me. It says, Jesus, my life is broken. I recognize it's because of my sin that I need you. I believe that Christ came to live. I believe that Christ came to die. And I believe that he was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. So forgive me, Lord. I turn from my selfish ways and I put my trust in you. I know that Jesus is Lord of all. And I will follow him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, guys, if that was you, if you prayed that prayer, maybe for the very first time, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I want to follow up with you. I want to answer any questions you have. I want to, I want to walk this new life with you and, and provide some understanding so you're not confused about anything or, or what's next. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. If you prayed that prayer for maybe for the very first time, go to our Facebook page, Eagle Ridge Lake Elsinore. And on that Facebook page, you're going to find a connect card, a link to fill out a connect card. And if you fill out that card, I promise you very soon, somebody will follow up with you and give you a call and answer any questions you have, and, and really just celebrate with you. We'd love to do that. And maybe, maybe you prayed that prayer, maybe again, or maybe it was a third time or a fourth time, and you're just responding, and this was your opportunity just to get your life back with Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Just fill out that Connect card and connect with us and let us know that you made this decision to follow Jesus Christ today or recommit your life to Jesus today. Again, that's, that's worthy of celebration. And so we want to just partner with you in that. And, and again, answer any questions you have. Connect with us right after the, our, our website and our phone number is going to be up on the screen here. Or if you go to our website or go to our Facebook page, you can get all that information. Reach out to us, please. You don't have to do this alone. So again, we want to thank you for joining us. And if, if you feel led that you want to give uh, to Eagle Ridge Lake Elsinore, and, and, and give back to the Lord through uh, your tithe, your offerings, your financial uh, gift. You can do that, and you can do that on our website. Again, it's Eagle Ridge LE for Lake Elsinore, EagleRidgeLE.org. You can give to the Lord there and, and know that we'll do the best that we can to steward your finances properly as, as God gives us. So you can do that through the app that we have. You can download that. You can do it through the website. Also, you'll find on our, all of our information an address where we currently receive our mail. You could even just mail your, your gift to the Lord to that address. And, and again, be assured that it'll go to continue this ministry and, and, and bless others with the Word of God. So if you feel led to do so, then, then uh, by all means, feel free to do so. Or if you have any questions about anything, again, please reach out, please ask. But we want to thank you for joining us this morning. We hope that you were encouraged. We hope that you were challenged. We hope that you were blessed in the Word of God. And we love you. We thank you. And again, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. Get connected during this time. You're not alone. God bless you.
Thanks for being here.